Well, today we, uh, we want to start a little series called You Are Home. Uh, how many of you have ever been away from home? And uh, you, you, you understand that in some ways leaving might be exciting, but after you've been gone a while, it's nice to get home, isn't it? It really is. Nothing like your own bed, right? And uh, it's just, it's, it's an amazing thing. I remember uh, when I was in, uh, entering into college, I, I worked out here with my dad one summer. My dad worked up and down the West Coast for a few years when he was in uh, evangelism. And I remember we came out here. I was 18 years old. I just finished my high school, senior year in high school. And we came out to California, spent several weeks working in churches here in Southern California. I don't remember all of them. There was in Bell. We traveled up to Washington, did some work up there. And, and, uh, and so it was time for me to leave and go to college. And, um, and so they drove me up to, the, up to the airport in this motorhome, if you want to call it that. It was more like a piece of junk. Um, i tell you how bad the motorhome was. We were driving down the road one day, and a bug, this is how weak it was. It had a flat six-head engine in it. It would hardly go. We were driving down the freeway, and a bug landed on the windshield, walked around for a minute, and then flew off. So that's how slow we were going. And it wasn't even traffic hour. It was full speed time for us. But, it was a, but I remember they drove up to the airport, and they said, all right, Jim, basically have a good life. And they put me on an airplane in Orange County, and I flew to Dallas. And from Dallas, I went to Whitney, where I had grown up. I packed for college. I got everything but my toothbrush and my underwear because I'm a man packer. And, uh, but I got everything I knew to get, packed up, went to my brother's on, on Saturday evening in Stephenville, Texas. And then the next morning, I got up and drove the extra 60 miles over to Brownwood. And I got there early enough to go to church, First Baptist Church in Brownwood. Then I walked down to check in for football. And it was one of the most empty feelings I'd ever, and scary feelings I'd ever felt in my life. And it was empty because um, I found out that my home was really, for most of my life, had been pretty much where my parents were. And they weren't there. And it was, a, it was kind of an insecure moment for me. And I didn't know anybody, hardly. My brother had played there, so I knew a few of the players. But I never forget getting out of my car and I'm walking up to the, the, the office where you check in. And you got to remember then, you, you may not know this, but I actually have not always weighed this much. I was about six foot three and a quarter that day. I, I was six foot three and a quarter, and I weighed 187 pounds. Now, that, that may, may seem like a lot to some of you who have never weighed 187. But when you're six four and weigh 187 pounds, where I come from, you, they say you could tread water in a garden hose. I mean, I was skinny. I really was. And I looked around, and the people on this football team were not skinny. And so now I'm not only lonely, I'm scared half to death because I thought the first time one of these guys hit me, he's going to kill me. But I survived. And over time, I developed some cool relationships with people on that team, teammates, and things of that nature. Uh, but I finally um, got to go home. I got to go home. And I'll never forget, I got in my car on a Friday evening. And I uh, was going home for Thanksgiving. My parents had been in the West Coast all that time, and they'd come back to Whitney. And all the way home, I just could not wait to get home. Here's what I knew. I knew that when I walked into my parents' house, I didn't have to earn anybody's acceptance. Not a bit. 
Because I knew my parents. My parents accepted me. They loved me. Uh, Gene, you knew my parents, your parents. I mean, my parents just loved people and they accepted them, but they really did love and accept their kids. There was such an excitement for me in just going home. And when I got home, I'll never forget, uh, I drove up in the driveway and they were standing in the doorway and they came out to meet me. And it was just a, a, an amazing moment. It was a great moment. And, and, and the only moment, moment better than that was when I walked in the house and mom had made pies. <laughs> you ever had homemade pies by mom? You know what I'm talking about? She had made pies. And uh, so when I went back, I weighed 273 pounds. No, I, 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 didn't, I didn't weigh that much more, but I did gain weight that year. But it was just something about going home. You know, um, there's not many places in the world where you find that. Really not. And, 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 I, and I really believe that really that's kind of what God desired for the church. It really is. But the truth is, if we're honest, the church is sort of an odd family. We're kind of a weird family, aren't we? I mean, look around this morning. Just kind of look around you and say, does anybody here even look like me? If they are, they're probably your kids. Okay, where's Jeff Briscoe's? They don't have children. They clone babies. Okay, but the truth is you can look around here and we're all different. And even in my family, we're all different because I'm better looking than all of them. Um, but um, the truth of the matter is um, the family of God is an odd family because it's made up of people from different origins and cultures who under normal circumstances would never, ever be able to relate to one another. Let me illustrate this. Um, what, what in the world do the following people have in common? Or do you think they would ever have in common? It, it just, okay, think about this. There's a situation where you find these people in the same text of Scripture. A philosopher slash pastor. A traveling saleswoman. A, uh, a former uh, fortune teller. And a jailer. I mean, what do these four people have in common? Well, from a purely, purely human perspective, you'd say nothing. They really don't have anything in common. In fact, it might be a good environment for a fight. Okay? You think about that. There, there, and, and yet, when you read about the church in Philippi, that's the beginning of the church at Philippi. You have Paul. You have Lydia. You have the young lady who was delivered from demons and was owned by the fortune tellers, made money off of her. And then you have a jailer. And yet these people were in the church and something happened in their life that allowed people from different backgrounds to come together and just finally discover that there is a place in the world where you can really, really, really be at home. And you find this throughout the New Testament. In fact, uh, up until about Acts chapter 10, pretty much the early church was made up of predominantly Jewish people. It may have been Jewish converts, but predominantly people had come through roots of Judaism. And, and yet in chapter 10, God begins to sort of mix things up and the Holy Spirit actually falls on this group called the Gentiles. And there's just this period of time where there's some conflict that goes on in this happening. But eventually you find that the church now is made up of people from every different religious background who come to a place of common faith in Jesus Christ, people who probably came from different language groups, people came from different colors, 
different cultures, different demographics, different economic stratuses, different educational levels, and yet there was something about these people where they somehow discovered the secret of being at home with one another. Do you think that is true of this church? Now, don't, don't answer that. I mean, I know some of you are saying, oh, yeah, 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 it's true. Well, think about it. I mean, it, it, let, me, let me ask this way. Do you think that if your greatest enemy walked in here this morning that you would make them feel welcome? Not your best friend. I mean, because everybody wants to reach their best friend. But would, would a person walk in here and really feel like, you know, if they saw you, they might go, ooh. But what would be about us that when people walk through the doors of this building, there's something about us where they think, okay, I look different, I act different, I feel different, but I feel a sense of acceptance. I can tell you that those things don't happen under normal circumstances. They really don't. In fact, Adrian Rogers, uh, you, you guys probably don't even know that name, but Adrian Rogers had great influence on me as a young man uh, from a, just from a, a visual standpoint. I met him one time in my life, I actually sat right beside him in a worship service, and this was back before Baptists raised their hands in worship, and he was the only guy in the building with his hands up like this. He was a, he was a spiritual giant is what he was, but he made a comment I heard him read, say this this week, and I thought it was pretty powerful. He says the church is, is, has a supernatural formation. In other words, it's not a natural formation. It's a supernatural formation that produces a supernatural family that's been given a supernatural function. I think about those three S because he was very, very much an alliterator, okay? And here's what he says. He says the church is a super, has a supernatural natural formation. In other words, it wasn't formed by the works of humans. It was formed by the hands of God. It's a supernatural formation that produces a supernatural family, not a normal family, but a supernatural family. Now, why does that matter? Because some of you have given up on ever feeling what you hope would be true about family. And it's a supernatural function or the power of God producing something that is supernatural so that now there's a supernatural family and this supernatural family has been given a supernatural function. We've been given a purpose. He says we are to live or we, we live to love one another just as God loves us. We are called to love one another just as God loves us. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the characteristics I think are critical in building a supernatural family, a family where people can feel the love and acceptance that they need to feel. Now, when you think about the kind of family you would want to have, maybe not the family you have, but the kind of family you would want to have, what would you think of? I mean, what would you think of? I mean, it may be for you, can, you can complete this in your mind. For me, home is a place where you have dot, dot, dot. What do you have? 
Or, or, or maybe I could say home is a place where you find. What do you find? You find certain things. What, what comes to your mind? Home is a place where you feel certain things. Now, I know that in reality, no family in this current age perfectly fulfills this image of family. And for some of you, your experience with family makes it really difficult uh, um, to really imagine these kinds of things. However, when, when we realize who we are in Christ and we realize what Christ has done on us, we can begin moving in the direction of being a part of a family, the family of God. That is absolutely amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Not perfect, because it's not perfect, but it's amazing. In 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, we're going to kind of start every week at this passage. We're going to read some things that the Bible says is true about us. In this, you'll find what I think is sort of this uh, this this sort of litany of things that I think should be true of your family, your biological, your home, but I think it also ought to be true of the church. And let me just give you the four, and then I'm going to read the text of Scripture. First of all, I believe when the church is being the church, number one, people feel a spirit of acceptance by the church. Now, I'm going to qualify this even at this point by saying to you that God accepts us like we are, but he refuses to leave us like this. Now, do you get that? So every one of us, God accepts us like we are. We would never come because if God says, you got to get here before I'll accept you, none of us are going to get there. By grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good or righteous kinds of works. And so we want acceptance. We, we need to feel as though we're valued. We feel valued, we feel loved, and we feel a true spirit and heart of forgiveness. I think we'll find that in the passage of scripture that we look at today in 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's read it together. 1 Peter chapter 2, excuse me, verses 9 and 10. But you are, you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. You're not a biologically born race. You are a chosen race. Because, frankly, if you look across this room, all of us kind of make up our own racial background, don't we? We really do. But the Bible says we're not a born race. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Stop there for a moment. Think about this. Just think about those powerful words. Here's what Paul says, or Peter says. You are, present tense, you are a chosen people. You are. Now, some of you think that it's only when you get to heaven that everything's going to get better for you. I, I don't believe that. Currently, you are already, if you are in Christ, if you've, if you've been chosen by God, you've been accepted by God because of what Christ has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, you are, right now, present tense, you are a chosen race. It doesn't say you will be. It says you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. 
a royal priesthood. Do you know you're a priest? Did you know that? Some, well, I'm not a priest. Yes, you are, according to the scripture. In fact, all believers are, have the same rights and privileges of priests of the Old Testament. Did you know that? That's why we put that veil up there today. I want you to know you could come inside the veil. Okay, and you enter in under what? According to Hebrews, we enter into the most holy place based on the blood of Christ. And we enter in. And we can come. And here's the reality. You can pray as powerfully and as effectively as anyone does. Because you're not praying based on your own on rights, self-righteousness. You're, you're, you're praying on the basis of the righteousness of God and Christ. Now, I love praying for you, but you can pray for you. In fact, you could pray for me. One guy said, I could use, you could use the prayer, and I could use, I mean, I could use the prayer, and you could use the practice. Okay? And we're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. Okay, get that? A holy nation? Now, guys, tell you what, I've been around church long enough to realize I don't think we're getting it. Yes, we are. This is positional. He's not, not talking about every little aspect of your life. This is a positional thing. This is who we are in Christ. And here's why this matters to me. Because if you don't start realizing who you are in Christ, nothing about your life will ever really change. Unless it's just self-improvement. You are a holy nation of people for God's own possession. A people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Reminds me of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the world was formless and void, and darkness hovers over the face of the deep. You ever felt that way? And God said, let there be light. And on the morning of the first day, and the morning the evening was the first day. It's really kind of what happens to us, isn't it? It really is. We proclaim the excellence of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at the rest of the text. Once you were not a people, you were a person, but you were not a people, not a church. I mean, you, were not, you weren't born in the church. Anybody said, well, I was, I was born in the church. Well, I'm glad I wasn't there. I wasn't born, I was born around the church. People asked me, were you born Christian? I said, no, I wasn't born Christian. I was raised by Christians. God doesn't have any grandkids, by the way. He only has children. You are not a Christian because your parents were Christian. You're a parent, you're, you're a child of God because of what God did for you. He birthed you into his kingdom, John chapter 3. Unless a man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, he says, you are, one, you are not a people once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When I look at this, the first thing I see is this quality of acceptance. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 is, um, is, uh, contains probably one of the most well-known stories in, in the world 
that Jesus told. Many cultures, many cultures that are not even Christian understand this story. It's a story of the parable of, parable of the prodigal son. Anybody, anybody have ever not heard of the prodigal son? How many of you have ever felt like the prodigal child? You, if you haven't felt it, then you bet I'm going to make sure you feel it today, okay? Because here's why. Until you understand the prodigal son, you don't understand the love of the father. But once you understand that, it radically transforms your life. So I'm going to walk through this story this morning. And what I want to do for the next few moments, I'm going to talk about steps to moving into God's full acceptance in your life. Now, to do that, I want to talk about what draws us away from God, and then I'm going to talk about what God has done to bring us back to himself. So let's look at it together. First thing I want us to see in these steps for moving into God's full acceptance, first of all, we've got to recognize that it's our, our desire for human approval that drives us from home. It is our desire for human approval that drives us from home or has us living away from home. There's a young man. He has a great family, or at least what we know of it's great. He's a great father. We know he has a great father. Read the end of the story. It seems like pretty much he has everything he needs and probably more than he wants, but he doesn't have what he really wants. What he wants is he wants to feel acceptance. Remember, he's not the eldest son. He's the next son. Now, in that culture, the eldest son had certain rights and privileges that uh, we don't necessarily understand in our culture, but here's a young man that had everything he needed and probably pretty much everything he wanted. We don't know if he was wealthy. We don't know anything about that. We know he had enough money, had enough stuff for his kids to have an inheritance, but here's this kid, and something out there makes him... Something empty in here makes him think that it's out there that's going to bring satisfaction to what is lacking in here, is what he does. The Bible says in verses 11 and 12, it says, this young man says, uh, he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all that he had took, had he had, and took it in, took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He wasted what God had given to him. Um, I was thinking about an illustration of this, and I. I, I, I I found one that means a lot to me right now. A few weeks ago, the Ryan family had to put down their family dog, Millie. And I still get emotional about that. I mean, we love this dog. We had her 14 years. Uh, we got her when she was about three months old. Uh, when we got her, uh, it was for Shelby's birthday. And uh, we told her if she'd keep her room clean for a year, we would consider getting her a dog. Uh, we got her the dog, and she hasn't cleaned her room since. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, we got the dog, the puppy, and it was her dog, but it actually is our dog. Millie was our dog. And for 14 years, we put up with a beagle. You guys ever had a beagle? Yeah. Beagles can be testy. But they're fun. They're great dogs. She was a great dog. But let me tell you something about Millie. Millie was a um, house dog and a backyard dog. It was pretty much her life, the house and the backyard. And then, you know... She pretty much ruled the house. 
You know, because I know we were told, okay, she shed, she's never going to get on the couch, never going to get on the bed. She never got off of the couch. <laughs> and let me tell you where Millie slept. For about 10 years of the 14, she slept right above Carol's head, right here. I read something that dogs like to sleep closest to the hand that feeds it. That makes sense, right? All you old dogs understand that one, don't you? Okay. So we uh, sleep close to the hand that feeds us. Millie had all the food she wanted. She had all the attention she needed. And in the backyard, she could just run wild. That dog was the finest lizard hunter in the world. She would kill lizards. She'd play with them. She'd pick them up. She'd let them down. They'd start running. She'd grab them. And she was cruel. Okay. And she had uh, hunting. She had squirrels that she tried to catch. Remember, we had two mallard ducks for a couple of years that would always come and land in our pool. The one thing about Millie is she was not a hunting dog because she was scared to death of water. So she'd run around the pool, the ducks would go over here, and she'd run back over here, and we'd be yelling out the back door, Millie, shut up. If our neighbors didn't know we had a dog, they'd think we would we'd go to jail. Because it was, Millie, shut up, Millie, shut up. We love that dog. But let me tell you what Millie liked most. Millie liked sitting in the front window of our house looking out at all the things she could not have. You know how many blinds we had to replace in our house because she killed every dog that walked by the front of our house. <laughs> and we learned something else about Millie. If you didn't watch it, you opened the door. How many of you have been at my house when Millie ran out the front door? How many of you have ever been there? Millie runs out that front door. And when we were young, we chased her. And then we figured out that if she really likes it over here, she'll come back. And inevitably, somebody would come to the door. Is this your dog? Yes, it is. Millie, get in here. She'd walk in. Or we figured out for a while that she would sooner or later figure out that the neighbors really didn't want to feed her. And all of a sudden, we'd hear scratch at the front door. And we'd open the door. Millie would come in there. We just pray she didn't get run over, things of that nature. You know, Millie reminds me of us in some ways. Because God's given us everything we need. You think about all God's provided for you in Christ. Think about all the things God's provided for you. And yet most of us, if we're honest, many times we're looking out the window at what the world has, thinking, if I could just chase after that, if I could have that, I'd be okay. I can tell you this. Millie was better accepted in our house than anywhere else, and we knew every one of her flaws. I hope my kids feel that way about my home. And I hope people can feel that way about the church. Number two, the second thing that many times causes us to not have God's acceptance is that we're drawn it is the draw of worldly pleasure that keeps us from home. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. You ever felt like you're wasting your life? Now, you may not know it initially because you're out there investing. I mean, you're getting it done, but man, it just wears you out, doesn't it? It really does. Many times it's the, the draw of worldly pleasures that just constantly keeps us from home. 
We, I mean, it's the, the, the draw to those things that draws us from homes. It's these things that, that I believe, this draw of worldly pleasure that keeps us from home. But it doesn't work. Look at the third one. The third one's important because it's actually the devastation of human rejection that drives us back home. It is the devastation of human rejection that drives us back home. Not many days later, the young son gathered all that he had, took a journey in far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He sent him into the fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be, longing to be fed, with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He came to a place where he realized in his life that none of it worked, and he wasn't finding the acceptance. He wasn't finding what he needed. He wasn't finding satisfaction of his soul from the people or the things of the world. He thought he was going to be accepted. And he was temporarily until he ran out. Until he ran out. My dad was a kind of honorary young man. <laughs> We're learning a little bit of that right now because they say when people go through Alzheimer's, sometimes they relive some of the events of their past. <laughs> My mom came in the other day and he was in the bed in the middle of the afternoon with a covers pulled up to here and he was laying under the covers and he was looking around like this <laughs> mom said bill jean that's my my dad's name was billy jean she always called when he was in trouble she called him bill jean bill jean what are you doing in the bed three o'clock in the afternoon he says i'm hiding from the police <laughs> so why in the world you be hiding from the police because i got drunk last night and beat two guys up and they're looking for me that was my daddy before he met Jesus. And uh, <laughs> I think sometimes we're doing that. And we're trying to hide. And, you know, my dad finally, because he was so crazy, my grandpa decided the day he turned 17, it would be good for him to go join the Navy at the end of World War II. And Dad said, I was so excited because my, my grandpa was pretty rough. I mean, back in those days, you know, they were rough. I mean, they really were. They didn't, they didn't sit you in a corner. Okay? But, you know, a 10 count from my grandpa was a, I mean, a, you know, it was a knockout. Okay? And so he thought, man, I'm, I'm ready to get out from under this man's authority. He said, so I got on that bus, made my way to San Diego, and he said, I got off that bus, and all of a sudden, there was a man standing there that was 10 times worse than my daddy. And he said, that day, I started looking for something, and I found it three years later. It's called an honorable discharge. <laughs> and he said, you know what I did? I went back home to my father. And God changed his life just a few years after that. It's absolutely amazing. You see, sometimes I think in the devastation of human rejection, we begin to think maybe it's time to go back home. 
Many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a, he went into the country. And so the Bible says that he, uh, he made a decision to go back home. He made a decision to go back home. Number four, it is the realization of God's approval that welcomes us home. It is the realization that God approves of us that allows us to come back home. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to call your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hands, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And I stopped there. I'll mention the older bro other brother here in a minute. But I want you to notice, it was, it was the devastation of his desire to be accepted by the world and not getting it that finally woke him up. The fact that maybe, just maybe, his father would welcome him home. And he turned. And he began his journey back. And when his father saw him at a distance, over, overcome with acceptance, he ran to the son. Notice what he did. He ran to him and he said, it's about time you showed up here. You need to straighten this out and this out and this out and this out. And when you do... You're welcome home. I don't read this in this text. Do you? I see his father seeing his son at a distance, worn out from all of the things he wanted, or he thought he wanted, and he ran. He ran to meet him. Isn't that what God does? You see, the only reason any one of us, of us is here, oh, sure, we may have come to our senses one day through circumstances that this just isn't working, but here's the cool thing. The minute you turn, the Father sees you, and you're still far off. The Father runs to meet you, and guess what he does? He accepts you back in to the family. Or in this case, he accepts us into the family. Notice there's no mention in here of the brother saying, or the young, young man saying, I think I'll go home. My brother might help me out. Not one word of it. And, and, and I bring this up because I want you to hear this. A lot of people come to church thinking, if I can go to church, maybe they'll accept me there. And I hope we do. I really do. But can I tell you something? If you don't already have the acceptance of the Father, nothing we do here matters. Nothing we do here will matter. The only reason, the only reason this young man could change is because he ran back to the Father. He got the Father's acceptance, and then out of the Father's acceptance, whatever happened after that didn't matter. We don't know in the end of the story what happened between him and his brother. We do know his brother was a little ticked off, do we not? Do we not know? And, and here's what I can tell you. The father knew that the son who stayed home was really just as rebellious as the son who left. 
In fact, there are some cultural things. I was listening to some teachings this week, and it says, really, if the older brother had been doing his job correctly, he would have gone after his younger brother. But you see, the son didn't come home hoping his brother would accept him. He came home because he believed his father would. Now, I, I, I just say that to say this, okay? A lot of people are looking for spiritual acceptance, spiritual this and spiritual that. So they go to church, and it's a good place to be. But please hear me. You will never understand the church until you come, until you come back to the heart of the Father. And when you have the heart of the Father, all of a sudden, guess what? God puts you in churches where there are philosophers and saleswomen and fortune tellers, former fortune tellers. Jail, jailers. And because we've all been accepted by the Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can create an environment where we can be real. Nathan Trothy and I were talking, and we were talking in a small group the other day. We were talking about how, unfortunately, the church is a place where we hide more than we reveal. Because here's what I know. Here's what I know of every one of you. You're hiding stuff right now. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come up here. Anybody want to share? Okay. I'm not going to do that. But let me ask you a question. Who in the body of Christ do you have in your life that you can be open and honest with and share the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups of your life? You say, well, I couldn't do that. You know why? Because you don't understand the full acceptance of the Father. And when you do, you don't have to worry about what the world says. See, you can either live, you can live your life in one of two ways. You can either live with the conditional approval of men or trying to get it. Or you can live knowing you have the unconditional approval of God. And out of that unconditional approval, God can begin to open up your heart and allow you to deal with the stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of think there were some conversations about his journey. Don't you? Don't you think probably was saying, you know, Dad, I was sitting around that fire and I was buying everybody drinks. I don't know if I'd have told my dad that. I was joking. I, I would have had to tell my dad that. But I'm just sure there were conversations. But the reality is he could open up his heart and be honest with his father because he knew he had God's complete acceptance. And that comes to us because of what God did for us in the person of Jesus. You like to be accepted. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel accepted here? Do 
If not, I, I pray that it's anything we're doing. I want you to know God accepts us just like we are. Now, he loves us way too much to leave us like that. I said that. My second question is maybe it's not us. Because I know this church. We don't always agree with one another. I mean, but you know what? We've agreed sometimes to love one another in spite of our disagreements. And we work every day to bring our lives into alignment with what God says in his word. It is the standard that we all work to help one another achieve. God accepts you. God loves you like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And my prayer is that you'll know the love and acceptance of the Father. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that God, uh, when we turn and run to you, you meet us. Father, I pray today that in the quietness of our hearts, we would allow you to change who we are. And Father, I pray that when, uh, when we come to this church, we would come um, we would create an environment where people of different backgrounds and life circumstances could find uh, a place where we are loved, even as we struggle. And God, I pray that, that if some of us are finding ourselves where we shouldn't be today, that maybe we would get up out of there and we'd run home to the Father. And God, I pray that uh, maybe even this morning someone here might be willing to just run to you and accept your grace and your mercy. And God, for many who have, I pray that if they've wandered far away from home, they would just say, Lord, I am coming home. So, Father, I pray that this would be a homecoming day for some people. And, God, I pray you would do your supernatural work. And, God, we commit this day to you.